Welcome to the initial inaugural episode of Let's Talk Deer. And I'm with our presenting sponsor, John O'Brien of Ramparay Outdoors. John, it's great to have you on this uh, new podcast. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. It's great to uh, work on this venture with you and bring it to the uh, hunting community. And folks, uh, I've known John for on and off for probably five years, and he was on um, Whitetail Rendezvous probably three or four different times, maybe a little bit more. And uh, John reached out to me early in uh, January and said, you know, let's do some um, collaboration, let's do some co-branding, and let's uh, start a podcast about about whitetail deer, and let, we're going to call it Let's Talk Deer, because deer near three need three things. They need forage. They need water and they need cover. Well, John, in his 29 years of the seed and, and um, helping um, all such critters, domestic and wild critters grow, um, has developed a tremendous company in Grandpa Ray Outdoors. And we want to introduce John today and have him talk about what he hopes will come out of uh, Let's Talk Deer. So, John, what's your goals for for this podcast? Yeah, Bruce, the goal for this podcast is to bring as much information from as many different sources as possible, um, trying to give people new and overlooked tips, bringing not just my background, my words, my expertise, but other people that I work with, other people that um, have similar philosophies, and even in some cases, maybe slightly different philosophies, but yet end goal being the same. Helping people do better. Now, do better at cover, seed, water, you know, do better. You know, let's talk, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so what I'm going to cover is what I do best. And what we hope to have with this is bring on guest speakers, people that are foresters, that are specialists in the um, tree area, bringing on people that are um, a little bit more fluent into the warm season grasses and bedding cover. Uh, myself covering soil and forages, um, bringing on guys like Art Helen who are also really good with TSI work, um, water specialists, guys like Zach Haas, uh, some of these guys that you've uh, interviewed in the past, bringing on people to speak at what they do 24 7, 365 days a year. You know, the biggest thing, and, and I learned this in, in previous podcasting in the whitetail world is, you know, everybody has a little different bent on how things should be done and we get into bad habits. And I've talked to Art and, and Zach and, and many other uh, people on the show and you're bent, you're known in the industry for being an educator. And that's what I hope this show will turn into is that we can educate people on what to do where to do it, when to do it, and how to do it. Your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, when I started my uh, Grand Prairie Outdoors venture, um, I'd been in the around the seed world, nutrition world, um, industry, distribution, seeing how things were done. And I realized there's very little education. People's uh, businesses' goals were sell seed, and there's very little follow-up on if things didn't go right, because there's pros and cons with everything. So I wanted to be able to um, lay a foundation of education so that when I did sell seed to end users, they had success. And if they didn't have success, to give them a means to get them back on tra track. 
through reaching back out to me and working one-on-one -on -one with their own unique situation. So um, Grandpa Outdoors' focus is trying to get customers that want to work with us, not just for a one-time sale, but work on their properties, their overall management, many years into the future. Me bringing my own perspective and expertise, but also giving them feedback on recommendations on people that I think they might want to contact to work in the areas of water, uh, sanctuaries, bedding, uh, TSI work, uh, forestry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also to, um, or, or have the means to work with whoever they're comfortable with in those areas, in their own areas across the United States. Making a more of a team approach versus one size fits all generic recommendations where what works for you also works for your buddy or vice versa, however way you want to look at it. Well, because we know that um, soils where you might say in um, the driftless areas are different than the soils over by Madison just because of their structure and what the glaciers did. But sometimes people don't recognize that. So it's important to know the soils. And I know you've got a book out. What was the name of that book, John? Yeah, I've written three books. My first book was called From Soil to Success, which basically laid the foundation for where do you place your seed? Having to tilt your table by doing little tips overlooked to try to get whatever you plant to do better. And then I did write a second book that was called um, The Perfect Acre, which basically is what to plant, where to plant it, and having a little bit of a strategy involved, which basically is a carry-through from the first book. And then lastly, my third book I wrote was actually called The Next Bite, which basically is getting your soil right, the first book, laying out your property properly, second book, and then lastly, whatever you do plant, where you did plant, using a strategy to make it more attractive and appealing to deer, or turkeys for that matter. Or songbirds or whatever, because I know some of your covered um, crops, you you include all wildlife, not just deer. Yeah, and I work with people, uh, everybody from guys that just want to manage for deer to upland uh, game birds to um, turkeys. And um, and a lot of uh, new focus has been on butterflies, hummingbirds, endangered uh, birds, uh, grouse, you name it. Um, some people might have it all on their property. Yeah, it's, it's interesting once you start doing a deep dive into into the habitat that um, if you do one thing well for deer, it really, um, there's a trickle-down effect. You know, some people say pedal in the pond, um, the rings go out, and it affects everything else in a positive manner. Exactly. So on a number of different properties I work with, you think about it. Some of these same strategies, some of these same forages you plant benefit a lot of species and also are good for things like erosion control. Thing of beauty, working on a plan today even too where um, I sh shared a picture with the uh, the guy and said, hey, I bet your wife will like the way this w this one little area that I set up will, will look. Things like my deer and bird mix, things like some of these pollinators wildflowers, things like that can be appealing not just to the animals that live out there, 
but also um, you and I, uh, significant others' wives, uh, thing of beauty. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and and it's so it's it's not just about seed, is it? No, and the thing is, so many people think about, uh, well, what seed do I buy? And I want to rewire people's brains to be thinking about your own unique situation. Don't focus so much on that silver bullet, that magical mix, because you got to roll up your sleeves. There might be a little bit of hard work involved, but strategy and planning is way more important than just that bag of seed that's in a fancy bag with a fancy name name with a tag on it. Since you just met, mentioned tag, I know a, a few weeks ago you had some social media points uh, and tag reading. Just give us a five-minute briefing on reading a tag. Yeah, reading a tag is something I, I can't cover enough, and I try to do different ways of educating people. So many people look at a tag and they don't really understand that. Beyond that, okay, we do get, you know, 90% germ count is more than 80% germ count. We get that if there's very little weed seeds compared to more. I mean, we, we, we understand that. But on a tag uh, and some of these mixes, people do, don't understand that whatever the percentages are, that does not mean that's the percentage of what you're going to be viewing as it grows on your property. Case in point. Some of these mixes, I have a mix that actually has 45% uh, triticale in it. But it, the end result is only about 6% of that final stand percentage being grain. Because seed size matters. Oats, wheat, barley, rye, most of those grains require 100 pounds of seed per acre for a full stand. Clovers could be as low as, you know, 6 to 8 pounds per acre. Same with brassicas. So, Looking at a blend percentage on a tag does not equate the final stand. Here's another thing that I've posted and you're probably alerting to. Um, the, the great smoke and mirrors uh, of the wildlife industry. Bag size. So many people focus on, hey, that bag costs 20 bucks, 30 bucks. What is the plant? Most people do not understand the full seeding rates. Most people don't understand how much seed would actually cover 100% effectiveness of your plot. Had a conversation with the guy today. Talked about a mix. If you followed what their recommendations were on the tag, you'd only have a three-quarters of a thick stand. What happens then? Weeds can come into play. That's one thing that they needs to be more educational of. As the bags get smaller, they still tend to have recommendations covering that third of an acre or a half acre. Stop and think about that. Why is that? And is that rational thinking? That's what we're seeing, and it's becoming more commonplace in the effort to make profit. So I, one thing I've learned from you is that, you know, um, you might buy 25 pounds of seed, but when you take everything else out, you may be only getting 18 pounds or 12 and a half pounds, 15 pounds of actual seed. And you're going, wait a minute, I paid, it was really cheap at the store, but I just paid double for that seed that you could get from, yeah. you know, a reputable uh, seed distributor. Yeah, and, and just on that note, though, um, you know, my policy is, if at all possible, I prefer to sell uncoated seed. 
buy, you know, actual seed. There is a time and a place for coding. Certain um, new genetics out there, um, you cannot find it in uncoded seed yet. Um, some cases, there's because they take unique inoculants, and that's how they get the unique inoculants onto the seed. Just be aware, you know, of what you buy. Um, but part of my education, I've talked about this a number of times at shows recently in at Kentucky. I try to educate people on why don't you have to use coated seed? There is some advantages of coated seed, right? We know this, but it's usually as a result where guys are overworking your soil. You don't have enough soil organic matter. Um, and so the coating kind of covers up for some management issues in some cases. So um, time and a place for everything. I have a limited amount of seeds I do sell that are coated, but generally, you know, my philosophy is sell uncoated seed, educate people on how to keep moisture in your soil where coatings are less of an importance in your own unique situation. John, if you broke down the year into four quarters, let's just talk about what people should be focusing on when it comes to their soil, their habitat, and their water. Yeah, the wildlife industry focuses mainly on uh, spring plantings and fall plantings with a heavy emphasis on fall plantings. There's so much land out there that guys don't plant in the spring. The spring is the most essential time for regrowing antlers, does, getting nutritious forages to help lactate, you know, heavier to feed those fawns. Spring also is a time where you could be uh, planting spring forages that will fixate nitrogen, which will reduce guys' fertilizers that they need to buy down in the future. Here's something I rarely talk about. If you naturally, if you plant more annual clovers, if you plant more alfalfa, perennial clovers, uh, and forages in the spring, soil builder mixes, et cetera, et cetera, um, it doesn't just reduce your overall fertilizer recommendations. It doesn't just benefit your conservation practices, reducing erosion. It maintains living roots. It keeps your soil alive and thriving. So many people that plant in the fall are planting into fallow ground. Their soil wasn't set up for success. Not able to handle as much what Mother Nature is throwing at us. So spring. A lot of benefits with planting in the spring. Any negatives? A little bit of work. Some people also might look at it as like, hey, I got to spend a little extra money on seed by planting twice. But I just mentioned before, a soil builder mix, a three-way annual clover mix they sell, planted in the spring, you could be fix, fixating 100, 150 units of nitrogen. That could replace two, 300 pounds of urea. You might not have to put as nearly as much nitrogen down in the fall what you spent on seed you can save on fertilizer something very few people few people think about just wanted to throw it out there amazing there's just a lot to learn and a lot of guys you know they hear food plots they know they have to do it but a great many of them over i would say 80 percent don't have an ag background they bought a 40. The 40's been in in the family forever. I think of Wisconsin. You know, I'm fortunate to hunt a farm. So Eddie knows what the heck he's doing and has been doing it for, 
you know, that farm's been there for over 100 years. So I don't have that issue, except if we want to put in kill plots, then it changes it all up because Eddie's not going to go in there and do it. So then I have to learn and, and Randall's has to learn and Dick has to learn, you know, what we need to do, when we need to do it and how we need to do it because we've had mixed success because we didn't know what the heck we're doing. And, um, that's one thing I hope Let's Talk Deer will be able to get people to send in their questions. Just like today, if you have a question you want John or, or me to answer, um, reach out to us at Let's Talk Deer 2020 at gmail.com. Again, that email address is Let's Talk Deer 2020 at gmail.com. And uh, I will be having uh, uh, events uh, here on Blue Jeans and um, – hopefully monthly, where I'll take some of these questions and we'll get them answered. John and I can answer them for you. Or some of the other experts you talked about, at Art Helen, and who's a good friend and knows a heck of a lot about hunting deer. And I should interject this. Um, it isn't just about seed and, and cover and habitat improvement. I'm going to talk about uh, hunting whitetails, which I've done for 54 years, so I know a little bit some, something about it. That's for sure. Um, when you think about reaching out to you, John, what's, where can people reach you? Yeah, the best ways is to drop me an email at O'BrienAg, which is spelled O-B-R-I-O-N-A-G at gmail.com. Cell phone number 608-235-0628. Best is 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, people can check out the website, www.grandparayoutdoors.com. Uh, got blogs on there, have a lot of uh, videos. Some of your old podcasts where you interviewed me, Bruce, uh, could be found on there as well. And uh, look forward to helping people any way that I can. And uh, look forward to this moving forward in the next uh, uh, rest of 2020. He also does have a Facebook page at uh, Grandpa Ray Outdoors. And then. Um... Let's see. Instagram. What's Instagram? O'Brien Ag, right? That O'Brien Ag on Instagram. Right. So that's how you can reach out to John to do that. So, John, when you when let's go back to the four seasons, what should I be doing right now on the land that I have uh, to enhance my herd? Yeah, no matter where you are across the United States, there's no bad time to lime. And guys have had soil samples back, low pHs. Even if you're going to be maintaining your your pHs by spreading that 400 pounds of pelt lime per acre per year to maintain, you can do it now. There's some benefits with now. Uh, if you're using egg lime, it takes you know six months or more to effectively kick in pelt lime a couple months. So if we're looking on the calendar, we want to be planning our spring uh, plots and our pHs, whether they're low and we need to raise or they're um, needing to be maintained. Think about spreading now, as long as there's not uh, too much snow, as long as you can get out there with your four-wheeler, spreader, egg limer. Um, in the next uh, 30 days is a great time to lime. It doesn't matter if it's 20 below zero, as long as you're a hardy man and can handle it. I do a lot of liming now. And, um, and then just uh, when we get a little bit farther into the season here, next month or two, what better time when you're out shed hunting than to be um, than to be liming, which we just talked about, but also um, killing two birds with one stone there. But also scouting, 
uh, great time to scout. Um, if you're looking for, uh, you know, trails, if you're looking for strategy, uh, maybe new potential plots, uh, it's kind of a three-pronged approach where uh, liming, scouting, planning, and then frost seeding is just around the corner of a lot of areas across the United States. Uh, uh, February and March, uh, a great time to frost seed. Could you do all this in one day? Especially people that don't live on their properties. Yes. Start planning your frost seeding or overseeding as well. Now, frost seeding, um, explain that a little bit because that is coming up in February and March. Yeah, frost seeding. It's, uh, and here's my little strategy for people. If you've had a stand that looks fairly thick, uh, coming out of the season, I still recommend seeding about a third of a rate of a, a third of a full rate just because we don't know what Mother Nature threw at us this winter. Uh, we want to always keep uh, a good thick sward fill, filling in any thin spot. If your stand looks like it's maybe two-thirds thick as normal, I'd recommend to frost seed or overseed a half rate. And if your stand is moderately thin, uh, come back with a full rate. Uh, whether you have a hand spinner, uh, one that goes behind your four-wheel or whatnot, walk along, spread your seed across the, the soil, let the mother nature and the freezing and thawing action, uh, were, you know, let, let the seed incorporate, uh, naturally. And it's a good way to maintain thick stands, keep your perennial plots growing for many years to come, as well as keeping weeds at bay. There's open ground. If there's bare ground, what's going to grow? Most likely weeds. So a great way to keep a thick stand with a lot of tonnage and a natural weed control. So that's something to put on your calendar. Now, moving into the April, May, and June time frame, it's all about, you know, uh, food plot. Yeah, and so, again, you know, in the spring, we want to plant either your perennials or your uh, spring planted cover crops. Uh, when the soil gets to 65, 60, 65 degrees, there's the fall, the focus on the soybeans, grain, sorghums, uh, warm season blends. Moving into the fall, uh, so many people focus on brassica blends, and for those that follow me, we'll see that I use a lot of diversity. We use annual clovers in the fall. We're using grains along with brassicas. We use uh, plot rotation, so we're planting a diverse amount of different fall blends and also planting some winter feed. Winter feed can be planted in the warm months with my deer and bird blend. Winter feed can be planted in the fall with my bulbs galore blend. So um, 365 day nutrition, winter feed can be planted anytime. What do I mean by that? Your frost seeding. Yes, some of those same forages you're frost seeding here can carry through, deer can dig through the, uh, dig through the snow if you get snow and get at them. Some of these spring-focused uh, uh, perennials are also cold-tolerant. Um, Warm-season mixes like my deer and bird, with uh, the deer will be out there picking through the soybeans, eating the uh, grain heads out of the sorghum when you get into December and January. And again, some of these fall-planted brassica blends also have bulbs, cold-tolerant brassicas that can be uh, found and, uh, and consumed um, you know, November, December, January, February across the United States. So you want to plant it all, have it all, have some diversity, and have strategy for 365-day nutrition. Great segue, you know, a strategy. And 
you know, you can think about food plots and you go, oh, I'm going to plant, I'm going to plant brassicas because they'll last through and I'm going to have my beans come up. And, and all of a sudden I've made this mistake. Um, our beans came up and they get hammered and, uh, there wasn't a winter, winter crop. And so my timing was off. So that comes to planning. I've talked to enough people in the business to know that if you don't have a plan for each section, that you have food plots on, you're doing yourself a disservice. Why? Because this isn't something you're going to do just this year and forget about it. Even if you put in perennials, you want to have rotation. You want to have what kind of yields you're getting per acre. It's a blessing that you can put up everything you have and you can use um, Google Maps and and other services to actually plot out, okay, I've got this, and it's on the north side, not the south side. This is well irrigated. This isn't so well irrigated. All these factors come in, and you can't do that, what I just said, folks, if you don't have a plan. Talk to me about, you know, building plan and having somebody, you know, walk through your property with you so you can build a plan that's a legacy plan, not this year, next year, three-year plan because – we're not doing this work for for just the next couple of years. We want to grow mature deer. That take four and a half years. And um, that's the end game for, for us on our farm where we hunt. That's our end game. We want to be able to have grandchildren be able to shoot deer that um, their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers roam, roam the same woods. Yeah, so when it comes to planning, so many people don't think about the future. Anything you plant this year will affect the future. It could uh, fixate nitrogen. It could smother weeds. It could build organic matter. It could sequester nutrients. Um, you got to think about plant diseases. Uh, there's a number of different factors that play that most people overlook and most wildlife companies overlook. I believe in sustainability. I believe in the future. I believe that having short-term success in lieu of long-term is a bad decision. You could have a great-looking plot or multiple plots for a year or two, and all of a sudden, year three, year four, whenever it is that you've mined the soil, you've had root rot, you've had plant diseases, you've had uh, issues that have arrived because of your uh, lack of forethought um, could affect your your plan long-term. What happens if you don't hold soil and you have erosion? Topsoil runs away, so you're basically left with subsoil. Reach out to me and say, hey, John, now what do I do? Now you got a major problem. So when I work with plans, we try to create a three-year rotation. We use strategy, not just for directing deer, but balancing or rebalancing your soil nutrient levels, recharging or building up your organic matter. Um, the more any forage grows, the more nutrients that it requires. And so part of my plans is proper fertilizations, proper placements, proper seeding rates, proper seeding dates. Um, and I do a lot of work for people where basically I lay out a plan saying, do this, do that. Here's when you do it. I'm not doing the hard work. You guys got to do the labor. You guys got to spend a little money on the seed. But I can do as much as a guy needs for me to tilt the table in your favor to have success. Not just today, but in the future. And with so many guys out there where their soils are imbalanced, huge amount of food plotters don't have properly balanced soils. So in an industry where people want to rush out to plant that perfect, perfect plot, that perfect plot 
might be different than what a guy originally thought because we need to consider your existing soil conditions and what is our goal? Where do, what direction do we need to go to make it successful many years to come? I hope you heard that, folks, because we covered a lot in this introduction of Let's Talk Deer with John O'Brien. And Let's Talk Deer uh, is being presented by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. So, John, any closing comments? Uh, just uh, follow along. Stay tuned. Uh, I look forward to you guys being exposed to a lot of people that, in an industry where um, there's a lot of people that you know work on in the seed industry and uh, have other full-time jobs, there's a lot of guys that just live in the land. Guys like myself, guys like our Zach, where we do what we do for a living all day long. Here's our perspective I hope to bring to you guys, something to think about. People that do what we do all day long, we don't just know what we know, but we know what doesn't work because we've seen more failure. So listen to people that don't just know buy my seed or don't just listen to people that, you know what, they know how to get things going pretty dang well. But we all know that Mother Nature can be cruel. There's a lot of factors that come into play. When you rely on guys like me to try to educate, to give you little tips to better handle the great unknown, you have a lot lower chance of having failure. That's what it's about. That's what I hope to bring, and hopefully other guest speakers will bring, is things that the common guy in the wildlife industry, even if he's selling products, maybe isn't quite as aware of because they don't have quite the same insight and repetition. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that perspective. But what I hope to bring to people is a little bit different way of thinking. With that, we're going to close this introductory episode of Let's Talk Deer, sponsored by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. Thanks so much, John, and look forward to the journey. Thanks, Bruce, and uh, have a great uh, rest of the winter out there.